It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Have you ever wondered what makes successful people different? What drives them to achieve the things that most people only dream about? Today's guest, Jack Canfield, has studied and reported on successful people for years. He knows what motivates them, drives them, and inspires them. Dubbed America's number one success coach, Jack is an authority on peak performance strategies and the development of human potential. He's the originator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which Time Magazine called a publishing phenomenon. Jack is a multiple New York Times bestselling author whose books include The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. He is founder and chairman of the Canfield Training Group, is a corporate trainer, keynote speaker, and popular radio and TV guest. Welcome, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Joan. Thanks for having me. So, Jack, it's an honor for me to have you here because your work changes lives and what we're about to discuss changes lives. So, You open your book, The Success Principles, with take 100% responsibility for your life. This is something, Jack, that many people, I believe, don't do. They love to blame everyone else for their outcomes. So is taking responsibility the number one thing that someone must do before trying to enact any change? Yeah, I think it is. It's foundational. It's, it's, It's really everything rests on this. If you're a blamer, a complainer, an excuse maker, you're basically admitting you're powerless that everything else outside of you is what's creating your life is what's creating the quality of your experience in life, the, the wealth, the health, the relationships, etc. And so we have to reown that power and realize that we are at choice every given minute. I teach a little formula that says E plus R equals O. Events in your life plus your response equals the outcomes you get. And everything you're currently experiencing is an outcome of how you responded to an earlier event. The food that was put in front of you, the money that was given to you, the comments that were made to you, etc. And how you responded to those produced the outcome. So think of it is a formula of two plus two equals four. And if you don't like four, if the world's doing two, like the recession happens or you lose your job or whatever, you have to do something different than what you're currently doing because what you're currently doing only gets you what you're currently getting. If it would have given you more, more would have showed up already. So we've got to change our thoughts, our images, and our behaviors. The only three things we have any control over is our thoughts, our images, and our behavior in response to what occurs in the world. So we're always creating, promoting, or allowing our future by what we think, what we imagine, and what we, what we do. And so once we get that, then we're empowered to start changing our thoughts, changing our images, changing our beliefs, rather than blaming, complaining, and excuse-making. So, Jack, what have you learned from studying successful people? Successful people seem to have a passion for something. There's something they care deeply about, whether it's art, music, architecture, being a writer, being a coach, whatever it is. They're just passionate about it. They can't not do it. 
And so they want to experience something, they want to express something, or they want to do something. And then they're committed to it 100%, not 99%, but 100%. I'll do whatever is required so that I can be successful. So that's what gives them that drive, that commitment. And for some people, it's something they innately know when they're really young. You know, my, my son is a hip-hop artist, knew from a very early age. He wanted to do music. He wanted to be a hip-hop artist, a rap star. He's got a band. He's got a group. He's got a recording studio. He does all that. And he's also a DJ. For someone else, it might come from a tragedy. Like the woman who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving said, this should never, ever happen to anyone else again. And so I'm committed now to, you know, stop drunk drivers so they're not killing kids like my daughter. I have a friend whose wife died of cancer and he's now a nutritionist saying nobody has to die of cancer if you take care of your body correctly and keep it alkaline you won't die and he's passionate about that because of the loss that he experienced as far as the fundamentals of success what I found is you have to start with a vision. What is it you want to create in the world? What does your life look like? What is the impact you want to have? Then you have to turn that into measurable, specific goals. When I say measurable, I mean by how much by when. You can't just say I want to live in a big house in the ocean. How big is that house? Is it 5,000 square feet, 6,000 square feet? What ocean? And by when do you want it? And then you've got to break it down into steps, little baby steps, little baby goals. And then you have to believe it's possible. You have to use affirmations, which are phrases that affirm that you already have what you want. I'm joyfully depositing my $100,000 check or looking at my $1 million you know, net worth. Then you have to have a visualization where you visualize every morning and every night before you go to bed, you visualize your results as already accomplished. We think you have to have an accountability partner in a mastermind group or a coach, someone that's going to keep you on track, is going to hold you accountable. Then you've got to take action, respond to the feedback, learn how to ask for what you want, not be afraid of rejection, and then persist until you get what you want. So those are the core things. Now, I have 67 principles in my book, but there's about 15 of them that are core, that are required. Like in football, you've got to block, tackle, pass, etc. So basically, once you master those, then you can add on the nuances of everything else. Chuck, what about when you hear people say that they're afraid to fail? I mean, in my life personally, I've gotten rid of the notion of failure. I think everything's Mm -hmm. a lesson and I no longer let fear stop me. But I hear this Mm -hmm. so often from people that they're afraid. So what tips do you offer to manage that? I mean, has fear played a a role in your life at all? Well, it did at one point. I mean, I was very fearful. I was very shy. I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid of people making fun of me. I was afraid of humiliation. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of loss of the things I had, you know, and so forth. And I think ultimately people are afraid of death and, and isolation, you know, being alone. But basically, I learned that Fear is just me making up images in my head of bad things that are going to happen in the future. Because mm-hmm. in the present, I'm fine, you know. But fear is fantasized experiences appearing real. And so I've learned that when I'm afraid, I stop and I say, okay, how am I scaring myself? What am I imagining? And then I use my imagination to imagine the positive outcome. Because basically, fear and worry is just using the power of your mind to create negative images and negative outcomes. What you want to do is just replace that with a positive outcome. And also, you probably know about tapping, Mm -hmm. this EFT tapping that's such a powerful technique, so simple to use. In the last 10 years, it's really taken off. I use it with all my clients and I use it on myself. In literally five minutes or less, you can cure a phobia, you can cure any fear, any anxiety that shows up. Like in my book, The 30-Day Sobriety Solution, which is all about how to get sober in the privacy of your own home without having to go to rehab or AA, one of the big things that drives people to drink or take drugs or overeat or gamble or do a porn addiction is anxiety. 
And once you realize that anxiety is just a form of fear and you can tap out any anxiety, any craving related to that, any fear you have, any test-taking anxiety, fear of rejection, basically in five minutes or less, you can literally disappear it. Now, we've taken the energy out of the amygdala, which is the back part of the brain where fear lives, bring it up into the prefrontal cortex, which is where rational thought and spiritual thought and creative thought occurs. Then we're no longer uh, afraid. We only think about what can we do to get the job done. Jack, I always stress the importance of eliminating negative talk, and that's self-talk mm-hmm. and from external sources. When I started this work, I was middle-aged, and I actually had someone tell me that I was making a fool of myself, and people were laughing at me. So what do you believe happens when we allow that seed of negativity to take life? Well, it's kind of like a cancer in the mind, you know, or a mold in your refrigerator that's that in some jar in the back you forgot about that just grows and feeds on itself. And so, again, you can use tapping to tap on the internal negative self-talk. There are techniques for turning your inner critic into an inner coach. I write about that in two of my books. And we know from the work of Masaru Emoto, who's this Japanese psychologist and scientist, that every thought you think is affecting the water molecules in your body. And they actually change the molecular structure of the water in your body. So when we feel afraid, we feel angry, we feel irritated, etc., what happens is it's making us weaker. It actually weakens the whole nervous system and doesn't allow us to be as resourceful as we are when we're in love, when we're in joy, when we're in acceptance, forgiveness, and all of that. So basically, we have to replace internal negative self-talk with positive, affirming self-talk. And the first thing you have to do is you have to become aware of it. And then I know some people, they wear a rubber band around their wrist, and every time they think of something, they hear themselves say something negative, they Mm -hmm. will snap it, not Mm -hmm. to punish themselves, but just to awaken the awareness. And then there's something called the law of replacement. You cannot get rid of something without replacing it with something new, or the old thing will be sucked back in by what's called the law of the vacuum. The vacuum will suck the old back in. So we have to replace negative self-talk with positive self-talk. That's why affirmations, reading positive books, listening to shows like yours, you know, listening to CDs, um, you know, repeating positive things to yourself, talking to yourself in the mirror and giving yourself a pep talk, all of that is really important in order to develop that positivity. You know, there's an old saying, you are the company that you keep. And I think so many of us surround ourselves with people that hold us down and we're not even aware of it. So if someone wants to be more successful, what should that person look for when cultivating relationships? Well, you want to look for people that support you, encourage you, believe in you, tell you it's possible. You want to find people that are already committed to their own success, that are doing well or committed to doing well, that are setting goals and that meditate and affirm and that are uh, taking action in their life. People that are modeling who you want to become. So, you know, I talk about drop out of the end of awful club and we're the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So if they're always blaming, complaining, negative, putting you down, putting other people down, mm-hmm. judging people, etc., then that's going to affect you in a, in, a, in a way. We're basically affected by the people around us. We can learn to build a wall of light around ourselves so that that negative energy doesn't come in. But until we do that, and it takes a little time to develop that technique, You want to be very careful who you choose to spend time with and pick people that you feel attracted to and that inspire you and uplift you. Jack, what advice or tips do you offer to kids that are just beginning? 
Well, you know, this may sound sort of serving, but I, whenever I have a college graduate, uh, I give them a copy of my book, The Success Principles. Mm -hmm. I tell kids, you have to study success. You've been studying biology and law and, you know, science and engineering, all these things in school, but that's not what's going to get you where you want to go. You need to know that for your job. But we know a lot of people who know a lot of information, but they're still not successful because they've never learned how to manage their emotions, how to control their states, how to motivate themselves, how to get out of fear into positivity, how to you know visualize and affirm all the things we talked about. And so you have to study this thing called success. And one of my big goals is eventually to have this stuff taught in the schools where there'll be a class called self-science or something like that, where just like biology and math and reading and so forth, you would have to study it. So basically make a study read the books, listen to the CDs, you know, find some mentors and commit to that. Jack, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your principles for success. We've only touched upon this subject. So if you'd like to get a copy of the success principles, or if you want to learn more about Jack and his work, you can visit jackcanfield.com. Jack, in our final moments, what do you think is the most important thing you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, I think the most important thing is to realize, and I've learned this in my own life, is anything is possible. If you can dream it, you can make it happen. So just be clear about what you want. Believe it's possible. Take action toward that. You don't have to know all the action steps. Just get started, and you'll start getting feedback, and you'll start attracting to you the things you need. Don't underestimate your intelligence, your power. Chicken Soup for the Soul, my biggest success, 500 million copies sold. We had 144 rejections from our publisher. Once the book came out, it took 18 months to find a publisher. And once the book came out, it took 14 months before we hit a bestseller list. But now we sold half a billion books. So the key thing is believe in yourself and never, ever, ever give up. Jack, thank you so much for being here with us. Your work, it, it has absolutely touched my life. I read your book when I was starting all of this, and it has helped me to excel at what I'm doing. And I just thank you so much for being here, for sharing this information and for changing so many lives. That's my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a French child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. 
Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed, then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. She is the co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. Dr. Berndorf is here today to discuss breastfeeding. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Catherine, how important is it for a mother to breastfeed? And if it is, what are the benefits? Oh, I feel like it's almost a trick question, Joan. Um, how important is it? It is important if it is important to you and you want to do it and it works out and it's good for you and it's good for the baby, then that's a wonderful, perfect-ish kind of scenario. But I think what I'd say is you got to feed your baby. 
one way or another. So I mm-hmm. want to flip it a little bit and say, babies need to be fed. Fed is best. How they get fed needs to be appropriate, but it certainly doesn't have to be by breastfeeding, right? If it is, wonderful. And if that works out, terrific. But I find myself in a very funny position often as a reproductive psychiatrist telling women that they're actually feeling worse because they're breastfeeding, even though they think that the bonding that's going on during it is essential. And what will happen is, you know, again, I I see a population of women sometimes that are, are quite quite depressed or quite anxious and they're holding on to something that is adding to their stress and to their illness. And that makes it very, very hard to breastfeed quote effectively. And when I say that, I mean, what are, what is the baby getting for that? Right. There's this idea, a very popular idea right now that, that breast milk is better than formula. I don't know that that is actually true, right? There was this idea like how many IQ points will my kid lose out on if I formula feed them? Will they will they gain immunity if if I don't breastfeed? I mean, there there are some real questions. The IQ one I take issue with. And I don't think it has been um, definitively proven. In fact, there's there's more recent studies saying that, that that is not the case and certainly not to the extent we once thought it might be. I I support breastfeeding. This is not a um, to say that people shouldn't try, particularly if they want to, and and it's something they 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 work will work hard to do. But it I, I would also say it's not for everybody. I can remember when I had delivered both of my sons. There was a lot of pressure put on me to breastfeed, and with everything that a new mother is going through. It really, it, it just adds to so much stress that they're experiencing at that time. Yes. Again, a very common experience, Joan. It, it's, it, it, these days, again, in 2019, it's very common in hospitals after women deliver to be really pushed towards breastfeeding um, without the, the idea that you don't have to or that you have a choice or that, um, or, 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 you know, women have told me that they're not offered formula if they, if they ask for it, or they're, they're judged if they do. And, you know, I, I, I hate to say I take issue with that because I think it's, I, I get that it's a, an amazing thing to be able to do in many cases for both mother and child. And I do think there are benefits, tremendous benefits of it. But I think that pushing it, anything is potentially problematic and deciding that there is one right way really doesn't make sense right it is it is not so clearly superior that we need to uh, you know insist that it be the one and only way to do things and and when something is treated that way or conceptualized that way there's pressure and there's shame um, when it doesn't happen. Catherine, is it always easy for a woman to breastfeed? No. I, I would say, well, there's this fantasy that you're just going to pop the baby on the breast and it's 
they're going to know how to latch and suck and it's going to go easily. I mean, that'd be great. And guess what? For some people, there is, they, they do have that experience. But I'd say for the majority of people, it's something to learn how to do. And then for those who can stick with it, given their circumstances, it, it, it gets easier and much more um, becomes more natural. But I don't think it's sort of like becoming a mother, isn't it? just an easy, natural thing to do. No. And I would say the same with breastfeeding. It's not just an easy and natural thing to do for the majority of women. It takes it takes time to figure it out, both for you and the newborn, and to get to a place where it is feels easy and natural. And, and even then, you know, what's it like for you? Does it make sense in the context of your life for this particular baby, et cetera, et cetera? So, Catherine, understanding that it isn't always this easy, natural process that we believe it would be and that when it doesn't happen the way we expect it to, we tend to feel like a failure. And so when a woman experiences those feelings that she's less adequate and and not able to be this quote unquote perfect mother right from the start, what advice do you offer that woman to help overcome those types of feelings? Well, I think again, knowing that it that it might not go as planned. So this idea that being flexible, again, if your personality style is more flexible than the next person, you're probably, you know, in, in, in reasonable shape. But but there are many of us who are controlling and a little bit rigid about how we do things and want it to go just the way we thought. So that's that's gonna make for a tough time if it's not going well. But but I would say if it if it's not going well it's probably not your fault. Um, and and to not blame yourself and to assume in a self-critical fashion that, that you're bad and defective and it, you know, it, it cuts to your core, you know, it's a skill that you learn. And, and again, it's not easy or doable for everyone for a number of reasons, some of them anatomical, psychological, hormonal. I mean, there, there are a multitude of reasons why it may or may not work so well, but that doesn't mean you're defective or you're bad. It just means that, that it may be more of a struggle for you than the next person who's going to have a struggle with something else. And if we could not judge ourselves and if we could cut ourselves some slack and just say, Ugh, it's not working, it makes me feel bad, but it doesn't make me bad, Right. Yes, you may feel bad. Yes, the message may be, or you really wanted to do it and it's not working. And there's loss in that, right? So you're allowed to feel bad, right? Feelings are legit, right? You, you, if, it, if, if you're feeling upset and sad or, um, about it, that's real. But to have that define you or say something about you that you're not good enough is, is actually unrelated, and, and sometimes it, it, it takes talking about it with someone that you trust, who's, you know, supportive, who's non-judgmental, who can kind of help you see that, right, that it's okay. It, it, this, this didn't work out so well. Let's figure out how to get this baby fed and how to find time with that baby, if that's what you were really, was so important to you about the breastfeeding, you know, figure out how, what feeds you're going to be on and how you're going to do it, you know, just. I think organizing around a new system starts to help people feel like, okay, 
I got this. I can I can get back in the game and I can still be connected to this baby who I thought needed to have breast milk in order to be my child. Not true. Again, talking about it, sharing how you're feeling, getting support from people who are non-judgmental, so that you can get through the loss of something that you wanted to do that's not working out. The book is What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. If you're interested in this topic or others like it, they are covered in this book. And and if you would like to get more information about Dr. Berndorf and her work, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Berndorf, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Recently, I received a call from a long-term client whose child needed treatment for substance abuse. Sadly, in my 30 years as an insurance broker, this type of call was not infrequent. My first thought was, what if this were my kid? Hi, I'm Ed Gaelic, a life and health insurance broker and founder of PSI Consultants located in Glen Rock, New Jersey. We have specialized in personal insurance and company-sponsored health benefits since 1985. Having been through this so many times before with other clients, my office pretty much knew the drill. We quickly compiled a list of in-network facilities and advised him to share it with his family's doctors for their opinion regarding the quality of care at each facility. I also strongly recommended him to confirm the network status for any facility being considered prior to making an appointment. We also provided contact information for the carrier's behavioral health department and confirmed the inpatient admission requirements, which included a level of care evaluation, prior authorization, and applicable privacy forms due to enhanced security guidelines under HIPAA. It is important for you to become knowledgeable about your plan's requirements so that all procedures are being followed accordingly. Failure to comply could result in a financial penalty as much as 50% of the total cost being denied. In addition, organization is essential because being able to access information easily will help you handle issues that may arise or possibly avoid problems altogether. Working with health insurance carriers on mental health or substance abuse claims can add another layer of complexity to an already challenging and delicate situation. My hope is that you never need to go through a situation like my client, but if you do, being informed and prepared will allow you to concentrate on you or your loved one getting well. To contact us and learn more, please visit our website at psi-consultants.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. It has been reported that children spend more than six and a half hours per day on screens. 93% of teen Facebook users share their real name. Sexting is a ranking concern for U.S. children. And one third of students between ages 12 to 17 have been victims of cyberbullying. Children face real dangers online. But how can parents protect their kids without isolating them from the reality of our digitally connected world? Joining me today is Will Geddes, one of the world's leading security specialists. Will coaches parents on the risks of internet dangers and offers practical advice so that children can be engaged in modern media while remaining safe. Will is a regular commentator and analyst for media, including CNN, NBC, BBC, and Newsweek, and he's the author of the book, Parent Alert, How to Keep Your Kids Safe Online. Welcome, Will. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invite, Jen. So, Will, when you hear words like cybercrime, sexting, cyberbullying, phishing, cyberstalking, grooming, nude selfies, 
These are activities that were not part of my world as a child, but today it's a very different story. Our kids are exposed to these scary activities on a daily basis, and they're not equipped to handle these realities. So I want to thank you for being here because this is such an important conversation that we can have. So as parents, we can't shield our kids from online dangers if we don't know what they are. Can you give us a general understanding of what is going on in the digital world that our kids are being exposed to? Well, of course. I mean, certainly in terms of the digital life and the virtual life that we all are increasingly inhabiting, this is, uh, in many regards, uh, still an uncharted waters for most of us in terms of the kind of risks that we can potentially be presented with, the type of content and material that we might not actively necessarily seek out, but we can come across accidentally or uh, just purely by chance. And in many regards, although we want to place as much trust as we can on the developers of apps and the builders of social media sites, the Internet as a whole, unfortunately, still doesn't have the degrees of controls that each of us might necessarily want. But more importantly, that could ideally protect children from a, the types of content that they could potentially see, but B, the kinds of threats that they could be exposed to. And those threats now make up an increasingly wide spectrum. Well, there were a couple of terms that I threw out, and I want to just run through some of them. And if you can give us a very brief explanation of what they are. So cybercrime, what is that? Well, cybercrime will be fundamentally any kind of crime which could seek to extract or extort money from you or by duplicating or recreating your identity to use your identity as a proxy to perpetrating various crimes on the Internet. Now, that could be defrauding other individuals. It could be grooming other individuals. Uh, but it's fundamentally crime that falls within the virtual cyberspace as opposed to what we might conventionally see in the real world. So anything from robbery through to fraud to extortion. Now, you just mentioned the word grooming. What is that? Well, grooming is the generic term that is used more often than not when there are predators who are seeking to actively target children for some kind of nefarious activity. And unfortunately, in the vast majority of those instances, it will be with some sexualized nature. Now, grooming is incredibly insidious because it generally constitutes the process of cultivating, indoctrinating and coercing a child over a period of time through very, very, very subtle means. And many of the predators that are grooming children and minors online will use such subtle tactics that the child can quite often not realize what is actually happening until they have been enveloped, if you like, by the predator into either sharing information, compromising photographs, or even in the worst instances, even physically meeting with the groomer in the real world. Is there a common way that opportunists prey on children? Is there something that parents can be looking for? Well, one of the things that I, I talk about quite extensively in this book is how valid will this book be in, say, a few months from now or even a year from now? And where I frequently mention within the book is about your protection, your safety being a defense in depth. And what I mean by that is that 
although technology can evolve and advance incredibly quickly and your child might be on one app this week and then on a brand new app next week, there are still some fundamental modus operandi that the criminal, the extortionist, the groomer for that matter needs to be able to follow to be able to compromise you as an individual or the child into giving up personal information, enabling access into a private account, or being susceptible to some degree of extortion. And the way that I best describe it is to say that you or the child, for that matter, is the key to the house. And if the house is full of your valuables, your private information, your personal data, whatever means or process that the criminal or the threat has to approach by, they still have to come through that door, which is protected by you. So although one talks about hacking more often than not in a technical sense, in many regards, it is about human hacking. It's compromising the person and coercing or or maybe even manipulating you to compromise the security values and common sense that you might not normally sort of uh, drop in a real world situation that you would be uh, duped into believing is worth dropping. So whether that be that there is some reward against you providing certain information, whether that be entering your personal information or whether it be by sending a compromising picture. So then, Will, how do we keep the door to our house shut? What is cybersecurity, and how can we practice it on social media? Well, when the publishers first came to me with the book, they said, Will, what we want is something that is going to cover children between the ages of 7 and 17. When I looked at the actual demographic of the 13 to 17-year-olds, or the, sorry, the 17 to 17-year-olds, I explained to the publishers that what we can talk about here is best practice. So it's Everything from the moment you set up that brand new device that you've taken out of the box, what account name do you put on it, what password do you put on it, the two-factor authentication, VPN, and various other things that I'll talk about in the book, which are very easy to put in place, but will control your digital footprint from the outset. But many children will already become incredibly capable and conversant with technology that trying to integrate that best practice is going to be a challenge. But where the books, if you like, serves its purpose is more as crisis management guide in the event of when things actually go wrong, which is more often going to be probably the case for that 13 to 17 year old age group. So, Will, when something does go wrong, what is something that a parent can do? Well, there are lots and lots of things you can do. And the first thing that I would always wish to reassure parents, and I've dealt with a number of cases over the years where parents have come to me in absolute desperation to say, what can I do? My child has done this, that or the other. Um, The first thing is about talking to your child and how to communicate with them in such a way that the child doesn't feel that you're prying and you're spying on them, but also that they can come to you without judgment, without recrimination, because children will feel that if they do come to the parent, there is that embarrassment factor to start with, that they may have been caught out on something which in many regards was probably pretty straightforward and was just common sense that they didn't do but they did and that the parent can actually help them and advise them and work through that problem and then in the book I talk about everything from how you as a parent can actually with the child as teamwork manage that situation to recover it and all the sources and resources that you can go to that can assist you with that even right through to the really serious situations where 
it makes very clear definitive thresholds of when you need to even potentially alert law enforcement and then how you can work with law enforcement to best enable them to assist and support you. The book is Parent Alert, How to Keep Your Kids Safe Online. Will, if our listeners would like to get more information, where can they go? Well, they can go to Amazon and they can go to many reputable online booksellers. And uh, they can also go to our Instagram account, which is parent underscore alert, where we are answering a number of uh, people's questions. We're trying to post up some interesting content. And if any of your listeners uh, do have any particular questions, please, they can send a message through there and we'll do our best to try and answer that for them. Well, thank you so much for being here. As I said in the beginning, it can be a scary world, but by following your advice and implementing security measures, we can avoid potential risks while reaping the many benefits of a connected society. So thank you for being here and sharing with us. Well, thank you for the invite, Joan. It's been a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You want your workout to pack a punch, so let's hit it. I'm Christina Nemec, co-founder of PATH Health Consultants. Here at PATH, we focus on using lifestyle to prevent and manage health risks. We're a workplace wellness firm dedicated to improving the bottom line of the organizations we work with. Our innovative, personalized approach to wellness supports employees as they adopt and sustain behaviors that improve or maintain their health. In addition, we offer a variety of health seminars and workshops to companies interested in educating and supporting their employees in a group setting. High-intensity interval training, or HIT for short, is any workout that alternates between intense bursts of activity and fixed periods of less intense activity, or even complete rest. HIT workouts can range from beginner to advanced and can be utilized with almost any activity. An example would be jogging for one minute as fast as you're able to, then slowing down to recover for two minutes. You'd repeat this sequence anywhere from five to ten times. There are many benefits to this type of training. It's really efficient and helps your body to burn more fat for a longer period of time. Even after your workout is complete, HIIT training pushes your aerobic limit and improves the condition of your heart. It requires no equipment, helps you to retain muscle, can improve your metabolism, and makes you feel like an athlete. If you'd like more information on high-intensity interval training or on workplace wellness, please contact us at pathhealthllc.com. You have a court appearance ahead of you, and you are going to court pro se, which means without an attorney. How can you best prepare yourself for the big day? My name is Kimberly Johnston, and I am the founder of Family Court GPS LLC. We specialize in legal coaching and court preparation. One of the most important things to do is meet all of your deadlines. Once you file papers or you have been served papers, make sure you are thorough and you understand the court's deadlines. Each step may follow a different timeline, so be sure you are clear on each part. There are guidelines for your response to service. There is a certain timeline for presenting evidence and requesting witnesses. There will be court appearances, and there may be evaluations to be scheduled. Make sure you are on time and on point. If you miss a deadline, you could risk serious ramifications. Family Court GPS is here to help you prepare. We will keep your deadlines at the forefront and keep you on point. Don't panic. You are not alone. Call us at 201-316-2772 or visit our website, familycourtsgps.com.
Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Amy Collins, author of the book Infant Inspiration and creator of the online course Moms, Courageous Women Raising the Next Generation. Amy promotes thoughtful conversations around motherhood. Her insightful perspectives look to empower mothers to own their role, clarify how it works best for them, and confidently express it. She's here today to discuss the power of Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So, Amy, you're here today to talk about the power of choice. What type of choice are you referring to? I mean that in today's day and age, we're so rushed and we're so caught in this social media frenzy that we are forgetting as individuals, especially as mothers and leaders of our family, that we can take a step back from all of the madness (laughs) and choose what works best for us and what works best for our families. What do you believe can help us remember this power? Well, I think when we practice mindfulness, um, that will help us as mothers to calm down. And when I say practice mindfulness, I mean seriously take a step back and simply remember these three words, to be here now. And what that means is, Be in a moment with your child, right as it is. Understand that you're going to make the best decision you can in that moment with the information you have, and you're going to choose what works best for you and your child. It may not be what everyone else is doing, right? So, for example, with phones, it's really hard these days, Joan. I'm sure so many of your listeners can relate. I can relate. I have two teenage daughters, and I still take my seventh grade daughter's phone at night. And it's difficult because her friends are on the phone until 2 a.m. And that's fine. Everybody else can be doing that, I tell her. But my job as her mom is to protect her health and her well-being. And I need to remember that that's my choice to rise up and do that. And I don't have to sit back and say, oh, well, everybody else is on their phone and kids will be kids and this is the day and age. It takes a lot of effort and it's exhausting sometimes. But that's the rule. That's an example of how I choose in that moment. Amy, can you give us another example of something you may have experienced with your own children? Sure. You know, I've had... um, I've had so many different situations, and I'm sure so many women can relate to this, that as a mother, you're not sure what you're going to encounter. And um, I remember one day when my daughters were, oh, they were probably in first and fourth grade, and they had just gotten out of the shower, and they were clean in their pajamas, and I walked into my daughter's room, and I just kind of, actually, I was just standing in the doorway, And they were kind of rolling around like little puppies. They were laughing, and they were so funny. And my older daughter, very calmly and in in her whole 
joyful mindset just casually looked at me and asked me what a certain word meant that she had heard at school. And it was a very strong swear word. And it took me by surprise. And instead of getting mad at her or yelling, where did you hear that? Because I had been practicing mindfulness for years, and hence we really need to think before we speak, I was able to say, wow, okay, Catherine, well, that's an interesting word. I'd like to talk to you about that later. Because first of all, I didn't want her little sister to understand the word or hear it. And then second of all, I was able to go at it in just a very simple way, one-on-one with Catherine, and say, hmm, how did you hear that word? In what context? And I didn't have to get into what that word meant, but I could give her an understanding that it was an inappropriate word. And so, you know, you just have to, as a, as a mother, it takes so much practice. But when we do it and we remember we have a choice in how we respond in any situation, we breathe and we think it through and then we can respond. It, it goes a lot smoother than just, boom, reacting. So think breathe, and then respond calmly. That's my advice. And that's where your power comes in. Amy, thank you so much for this reminder. If you would like to get more information about Amy and her work, you can visit her website, createclarity.net. And as always, to hear more from Amy, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Amy. Energetic patterns are everywhere in homes, workplaces, supermarkets, and even places of worship. What most people do not know is that these energetic patterns can affect our lives on a spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional level. For example, if you are generally a happy, healthy, and positive person, the energy released from you would be a higher vibration. On the other hand, if you are an unhealthy, unhappy, or negative person, the energy released from you would be of a lower, dense vibration. Imagine what type of energetic patterns are released from couples when a divorce is in the mix. If one of the couples remains in the home after the divorce, those energetic patterns are embedded in their surroundings, including the walls, furniture, and even the bed that both of you slept on. If one of the couples moves out, the furnishings they take with them are still carrying the energetic patterns from the divorce. When a divorce is at hand, the best way to move forward in your personal environment is to have your space cleared professionally with the intention of healing on all levels. Space clearing will remove old stagnant vibration energy and replace it with a new, revitalized energy, creating the feeling of a clean, fresh start. Remember, this is your space and your time. Your space should reflect who you are and your goals in life. Starting your life over can be a cathartic experience. Embrace the moment and make it count. This is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified and intuitive feng shui and space clearing consultant. If you'd like more information, you can visit me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. 
Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.